You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Mark Towner, the Martins are away. The Martins have bailed on us. Tristan has bailed on us. And fortunately, we have a substitute, an amazing substitute. Our friend and partner, Brian Flaherty, from our Philadelphia office, has joined us for this episode of the uh, Beltway Briefing. Brian is a uh, longtime listener, a devoted listener. First time caller, though. A long time listener, (laughs) first time caller. Long time, first time. A frequent critic, a frequent critic, a vociferous <laughs> critic. And we'll let Brian critique. Um, Mark apparently got so tired of being beaten up that he called in reinforcements. He can't stand up for himself, so he had to call his litigator. Brian has been my friend and colleague for... 45 years, maybe. We, we, we were summer associates together, Mark, if you can believe that. Oh, many, many summers ago. But most importantly, Brian has been my lawyer. So I called in my advocate. Um, we're, we're ready. Bring it. All right. So, guys, quite the backdrop against which to have this conversation. I mean, it seems like the more things change, the more they stay the same COVID, the numbers are coming down, but God, the overhang is intense. The inflationary talk dominates every client conversation we have. The labor shortage, I mean, they're one, they're one and the same. Ukraine is, is out there. The stock market was up today, but I think 10 straight days of, of decline, the market clearly is is spooked by by inflation and the prospect of rate increases. And the we had this week the announcement that Justice Breyer is is stepping down. So a thunderous political event. It was interesting. We sent our weekly Cozen Currents on Tuesday. And our headline was Can Biden lead? Question mark. I had more reaction to the headline. Than I've had to any of the content we put out, and and both sides of the aisle, guys. So so that so well, that's what was the answer, Howard? Well, some people simply responded, <laughs> "No," <laughs> uh, but it, it provoked a lot of reaction. Um, so, Brian, let's let's start. You you're our guest. Uh, let's start with some commentary on the commentary. Give us your thoughts as a longtime listener of the sure, Beltway Briefing. Sure, sure. And let's it's, go from there. You, you, you just used the, the key term to, uh, to, uh, that you probably used as a trigger for me. You're both <laughs> sides, which is my constant refrain to you. Um, to all of our listeners, all of your listeners should know. I'm, I am a regular listener, as Howard says. I listen to you on my little walks in the evening on my, with my headphones. And I commonly... Um, uh, have have no choice but to write to Mark and complain about the both sidesism, what I call both sidesism. So I told Mark, well, look, I'm I'm from not the Beltway, but the reality-based community, 
uh, as opposed to the Beltway. And so he invited Otherwise me. Otherwise known as the mainline, Brian? No, yeah. no, no, no. I'm from the People's oh, no. Republic of, of uh, Mount Airy, which right. is the different side of the river. Okay. But um, in any event, um, I, I, I think it's the reality-based community compared to the Beltway. Uh, not just you guys, by the way, but the whole Beltway. And, and so you guys exhibit, and this is my constant refrain that, that Mark um, invited me to come on about, this, this insatiable need to talk about both sides, as if somehow both sides are responsible for the current uh, political uh, toxicity in the country. And, and my constant refrain to you guys, which I'll explain now, is, is, that, is that that's just lunacy. It's not both sides. <laughs> I'm the first one to admit that not everybody of my political persuasion, which is clearly democratic and liberal, is 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 uh, has all the wisdom in the world. And yet, it's not even close when you come to 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 uh, balance uh, balance the who's really responsible for this. Uh, Howard, you frequently one of my favorite things is when you trot out AOC as the problem on the other side, and the AOC. May or may not be the most uh, sensible person in the world, but she doesn't hold the candle to Donald J. Trump. So I, I of course, agree with that. Uh, you do. And that's one of your also one of your favorite lines. I hate Donald Trump. So but that's really the point. The party, your party is led by a sociopath. Well, I mean, the guy is a sociopath. Hold on. Hold on. Just let's be careful with the pronouns. Yeah. <laughs> Well, because you can accuse affiliation. You can accuse me of playing both sides because I've actually worked for both sides. I well, know that. And I, the ultimate expression of Howard's both sidesism is that he refuses to admit that he's actually a member of one political party. <laughs> there's a good reason for that, Mark. Yeah, hey, but there's but anything. Towner, Towner, on the contrary, is a proud Republican. All so right. you can address your remarks directly to Towner. Well, I'll address these <laughs> remarks to, to, to the many fine people in the Republican Party, because there are many fine people. But those people have to come to the come to the realization that their party is led by a sociopath, a guy who, who suffers from a psychological condition that means he doesn't have a conscience. He's literally a criminal. And and. The most amazing thing is, while president of the United States, he actually tried to overthrow the government of the United States. And every once in a while, you sort of it's become so much part of the woodwork that we live with that you don't realize how unbelievable that is. And yet that's the guy. It's, and then they say, well, OK, Howard, you usually say, well, it's just Trump. That's not really the whole you know, <laughs> Republican Party. But the problem is, it is. I did some little research today, you won't be surprised to know. And my research showed me the following, that the morning consult polls from yesterday and the day before showed Trump 49%, the next guy at 14%, DeSantis. And it gets even funnier when you realize they run two polls now. Morning, morning consult runs two polls, one including Trump senior and one excluding him. And in the one excluding him, Guess what the results are? DeSantis, 25%. That is for the nomination for the party, for the president, 24. Trump Jr., one point behind him at 24. <laughs> no, Brian, so I will out say. Trump Sr., they put in Trump Jr., and that still almost wins. It's Brian, remarkable. I will say, though, that means that more than 50% of the Republican Party, if given the choice to vote for Donald J. Trump for a second term or not, 
would vote for somebody else. And I think that is a metric that is remarkable. And we should be talking about that movement potentially away. Well, I'm not sure I follow that. In other words, because Trump only gets 49 percent, that means 51 percent would not vote for him if he got the nomination. It would vote for somebody else. They've indicated in that poll. Oh, somebody else for the nomination. Yeah. But who would yeah. they? But but this gets to another point, which is who would your run of the mill Republican vote for if the if it's Trump versus Biden again? And I'll answer this. I, I have a lot of friends who are who are Republicans. Yeah. And they say, well, no, I hate him. I can't stand him. All right. Well, if it's Biden versus Trump, who would you vote for? And almost to a person, they say, well, I can't vote for Joe Biden. Just wouldn't vote. Which I say, I understand why you don't like Joe Biden in terms of policy. That's fine. You don't have to be a liberal. You don't have to be a, a, a centrist like Biden is. You could be a conservative, and that's fine. But you can vote for Donald J. Trump. <laughs> Who's a criminal who tried? You're not going to get any. The thing is, you're not going to get any argument from Towner or me. I'll speak for myself. You're not getting any argument from me about whether Donald Trump is fit to be president. He's. I I know that Howard, and I appreciate that. Well, all I'm saying is, is that he is in fact the leader of the Republican Party. And then you say, well, okay, but but there's other fine people in the party. For example. Nikki, Nikki Haley, she's one of the favorites. You know, she's she's classy, she's smart, and I agree with that. She is. I did a little research on her. Guess what? She you just have to look for about five minutes. Here's what she tweeted out this morning or yesterday afternoon. If Joe Biden loved our country, he would step down and take Kamala Harris with him because the foreign and domestic policy situation is beyond dangerous <laughs> at this point. I mean, that's silly. Well, of obviously. Course it is, but that's my point. Here is the responsible person, the alternative to the the responsible Republican. And this is the kind of stuff they're talking about. I mean, I think I do think the responsible thing to do if you're Joe Biden is to leave the White House, vacate with your entire team and and, you know, announce that you support a Republican to be in the White House to deal with (laughs) foreign policy issues, because that's the most important thing uh, that a president can do. Well, I guess just. (laughs) Anyway, I, I'll, I'll stop my rant for the moment. But this is what drives me to distraction is that is that at this point in the conversation, Howard usually says something like, well, what about AOC? No. <laughs> you know, Dr. Joe Biden, he's he's a total screw up. Oh, he didn't a few weeks ago. This is one of my favorites. Uh, Joe <laughs> Biden screwed up because he didn't deliver a speech as eloquent as the second inaugural address of Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what? And we can all agree that's a fact. He didn't. He didn't. I agree. But but may I just just want to supplement my lawyer's observations there. And you can now clearly see why Brian is my lawyer. He actually even does research, which is unfair on the program. (laughs) But, But may I just seriously, this is my very serious supplement to everything Brian said. Subtract out Donald J. Trump, the human being, if that's even what he is. It is a fact that a majority of the Republican Party believes that the 2020 presidential election was illegitimate and stolen. Listen, the income, if the Republicans town. If the Republicans take back the House, they are very likely to, your your old uh, place of employment. The Speaker is very likely to be Kevin McCarthy, who has said 
that he does not believe that Joe Biden was legitimately elected president. I think he That's specifically said he answered a question. Was there fraud? Do you think there was any measure of fraud in the election to which he, he answered? Yes. Um, but, you know, the, the the bottom line is that Republicans are caught between a rock and a hard place. I'm going to agree with you guys completely on this, because, you know what, we don't the, the leader, I guess, of our party is a guy who, Brian, thank you for pointing out, a majority of Republicans wouldn't vote for in the next primary who was just the who was just the president of the United States. We don't have a leader per se. We don't have the White House, so we don't have a leader. Democrats equally in disarray in the first year, especially after a presidential election, when they when they don't hold the White House. So that's this is a natural progression of a party working itself out. But the the problem right now for a lot of folks is that turnout's probably going to be down in a midterm election coming up. Uh, in 11 months, in 10 months now. Um, and you're going to need your base to get through the primaries, which start the first week of March. We in Texas, the first primaries in the nation are the first week of March. We are five weeks away from holding congressional primaries in this country. And so if you think turnout's going to be super low because it's a midterm and there's highly motivated Trump voters that are still going out to the polls, whether whether a fairly moderate Republican like myself likes that or not, they're still going out to the polls. And so you better find a way to win your primary or we're going to go way far right because all of these guys are getting primary from the right. And that started 12 years ago back during the Tea Party that Republican members started getting primary from the right. Democrats really only in the last four to six years have started to get primaried from the left. And believe me, you're not going to like where this is going for the Democratic Party because I'm there as a Republican. I've seen what's happened over the last 12 years. And you got to do some some serious acrobatics as a Republican to get through the primary and then yet still win a general. And somehow we've been mostly able to do it. And it looks like we might take the House back. And yeah, that, that, I think your analysis is, is dead on. But that's that is the problem. You've just diagnosed the problem, which is that there is this this thing that started with the Tea Party. I actually think it goes back further to Gingrich, but that's a separate point. Um, where they've literally taken over your party. And now, yeah, it's a very rational thing to do to not to not actually criticize Trump, which is why literally nobody, almost literally nobody in the party, what Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, I think you say his mm -hmm. name, yep. the only ones, and they're being thrown out. That, that tells me that Trump, in fact, is the leader of the party, because when you have a party where nobody, even though you're right, 51 percent per the poll would support someone else in the primary, nobody in the party leadership, the entire so-called responsible structure of the party will say a word against them. That's pretty remarkable. And that's the problem. I mean, McConnell, Mitch McConnell, Senate majority leader, he has not done what Minority leader, Howard, not majority. Sorry, leader. minority leader. It's okay. It's coming. Um, has not. That, that was a prediction on it. Yeah, Howard. exactly. <laughs> has not done. Maybe even an aspiration since we know he's a closet Republican. He just won't say it. Has not done what, um, what McCarthy has done. What the House minority leader has done. He has, he has, he hasn't hugged Trump. He, he's not gone negative on him per se, but he's made many strong statements about January 6th. 
I, I understand um, that, but he ha- he hasn't hugged him, and he's very he's 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 a, he's a he's a very very astute guy, needless to say. But here's what he did do, Howard. He at the last minute nixed the Jan- nixed the bipartisan effort to look into January six. That was pure Nick Mitch McConnell. He held the party line. There was people who were going to support it, and then they got the word from him not to support it. He didn't say anything. He doesn't go out and praise Trump the way McCarthy does. But he, he absolutely nixed that and turned what should have been yeah. a responsible, thoughtful, bipartisan effort to actually understand what happened when the president of the United States tried to overthrow the government. And he then turned it into what the Republicans are the, able to portray it, what, as a partisan the, review. Yeah, that I was mean, Mitch McConnell. But that it, was it wasn't McConnell. necessarily Mitch McConnell. It was Susan Collins who was leading the line there. It was a number of others who you would uh, sometimes uh, we considered a Democrat yeah, for a while but, when Republicans had the majority. And it happened because the first iteration of the January 6th committee, while, you know, mostly fair, was not equally divided. Subpoena power was given to the Democrats in that regard. Wait, wait, and wait. you were pushing Kenner, for Kenner, some additional reform. Kenner, you're, you're down there all the time. I just read the newspapers. That's not true. There was an agreement, but with the head of the, the committee and the in the, the Republican head in the House worked out a the deal House. where there would be no subpoenas issued unless there was a bipartisan vote. And that was the proposal that, that they turned down in the Senate because Mitch McConnell pulled the line. That's it was not fully but, bipartisan. It, it was it was not split down the middle. And at the end of the day, that no subpoenas would be issued unless there were Republican support. The problem with this country. Deck chairs on the Titanic. Talking about whether it was Mitch McConnell or Susan Collins. Let me go back, if I may, Towner and Howard for that matter. But but Towner will at least admit to it. Towner, (laughs) is it a fact that a majority of the of today's Republican Party, according to all public opinion polling, does not accept the legitimacy of the 2020 election. I haven't seen that polling. I, I'm, you know, it, look, if if less than 50 percent are willing to vote for Donald Trump listen, in a primary, then I'm not quite sure that we're there with the illegitimate. It is, that's only Mark, because Mark, it is indisputably troubling that people Absolutely. believe that the 2020 election was fraudulent. It's we could talk about that all day long. It is wrong. It's delusional. It's but it is screwed. the majority Mark, view of the minority party. What do you, Mark? What do you want me to do about it? I'm certainly yeah. not a Democrat. Where am I? Where am I to go uh, at this point? I am. I am much more policy aligned and, with Republicans. I do not believe the election was stolen. There was there was illegitimate fraud in the election. But, you know, at the same point in time, look, when Trump was president, he put a whole lot of agency heads in that did a lot of policy work that I really liked, quite frankly. And Biden's not doing any policy work that I like in any way, shape or form. And so, you know, there's a whole host of us Republicans who are who are left without a land uh, that we'd like to find in the middle somewhere. And I would argue, Towner, a whole host of people in general. Yeah. You know, Mark, you like to you like to try to push me to a certain place, and I won't be pushed because yeah. I'm effectively a man without a party, and yeah. I'm okay with that. Like, why do I have to be one or the other? 
Yeah, why can't I pick and choose? I'm just as liberal as you are, if not more so, on some issues. Like, Howard, you're violating the rule that this is just stick here. What what are you doing? I'm just (laughs) as you go. I'm just personal honesty doing here. I'm just as liberal as you are on plenty of issues. And you're just as would you vote for a member of Congress who voted against certification of the Electoral College vote? Would I vote against a would member of four? I would, oh, four? No. It depends, it would depends you on her? Would yes. you? You would. It depends because I um you would. You know, and, and I'm in a position where I'm I like I like to think I know a good deal of those members of Congress and I know which ones I have a personal trust in to do the right thing. But, at the right time, and, and there's a lot of. But I wouldn't. Yeah, and I wouldn't. There's 147 of them. There's 147 of them. That's my That's almost, what Brian and I are saying. Yeah, there's that's bingo. Thank you. There's that's 203 Republicans in the House of Representatives. 147 of them voted not to certify ballots in two states. In two states. 147 of them voted it's, against the legitimacy of the 2020. Okay. But it's a difference. So this is the argument. And I think this is a good learning moment, actually, for not only those on the call, but the, or on the thing, but those who listen. This is great. This is great. I'm glad. I'm glad you opened this door. <laughs> I'm really glad you opened this door because it has been consistently a historical situation that every time there is certification of ballots, members of the opposite party generally in the House, sometimes not in the Senate, but generally in the House, try to invalidate at least one or two states electors in, during that process. Okay, it now I'm going to call wait, time wait, out wait, here. Wait, 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 call, wait, hold on, I'm going to call wait. time out here. This is let, Towner, let Towner example. finish. Let Towner finish. All right, fine. It always fail. They always fail. It's failed every single time, except for I don't know about the contested election in the early 1820s, where we had no president for like, you know, five months. But since that point in time, it has always failed. What is being talked about right now on Capitol Hill on a bipartisan basis is reforming the Electoral Count Act so that we don't have that nonsense every time we have a presidential election. We don't have this, you know, the other party has to stand up and challenge a couple states and find a way to to try to cause a problem. Because obviously, if we weren't voting on electoral counts on January 6th, we may not have had January 6th, quite frankly, and Trump couldn't have incited a mob to go up to Capitol Hill and try to disrupt that process. And so there is a bipartisan group of senators right now that is working to try to fix the electoral count out so we don't have this stupid charade of electoral certification in Congress uh, on a state-by-state basis. Listen, I want... Hold on. No, you told me I could could talk now, Howard. Okay. You may talk, Brian. This is the perfect example of both sides. Okay? Yep. We have what happened on January 6th, 2022, okay? A a, a presidential-inspired riot assault on the candidate with hundreds of people in the in the Republican Party voting not against certification, scores I think of senators maybe not scores but yeah, no. many senators as well voting against it. And it? the response is well Only both sides because David. after all every couple of years some 
Some two or three uh, people on the other side of the other party vote against it. There is a difference in kind. There is. Between the occasional absolutely futile act of protest in, 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 that you see every four years and what happened on January Brian, 6th. you're not going to get any argument from me, okay? And I don't think you are from Towner. Like, no. what happened on January 6th was beyond horrible. And history is going to reflect on it in a way that will it will be even more horrible than as horrible as it was. I mean, it was not, hard. Not if, the, not if the leadership of the Republican Party in power right now has anything to do with it. It was horrible. And I blame Donald Trump. I never wanted Donald Trump to be president. I think Donald Trump is horrible. Okay. Donald Trump was the president. He's no longer the president. And we have to move forward. And we all want President Biden to succeed. Do you think he's doing a good job? Uh, I don't think he's getting everything right. I don't think he's a complete screw up the way you guys talk about him. No, I don't think he's a complete screw up. He has a job. His job is to lead. His job is to move the country forward. That's what we need. That's what we need more than anything is direction for the country. And you called him a centrist earlier. He's actually not a cent. He, he's a centrist in the sense that he's always moving where the Democratic Party is moving. But the and the Democratic Party has moved leftward and he's moved leftward with it. He is not a centrist or a moderate. He's an institutionalist. Most people in this country are in the middle, as I always say. Most people are fundamentally in the middle. They want moderation. And unfortunately, with his, the way he's governing, he's not, he's going to where the Democratic Party is. He isn't making the Democratic Party go to where he is. He's the president. He has to lead. He has to set the tone. And he's letting other people set the tone for him. Now, COVID is obviously, you know, he can't control a virus, but he there's a lot that he can control. And why aren't we talking about that as opposed to Donald Trump? He's not the president. Thank God. Well, no, no, Howard, I agree with you. Look, I understand. I'm, nobody, I'm not going to sit here and say that Joe Biden is the greatest president since Abraham Lincoln or FDR or something. Of course he's not. But I will say that I listened to this podcast again, and you would think that he has he is really performing horribly listening to some members of the panel. So I would say to you, well, you know, the guy did manage to do something that I think at least the last two presidents tried and failed to do, namely pass a, a once every couple of generation infrastructure plan. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, not the only thing yeah. he did wrong. He's messed up some things, but. I just don't think he comes anywhere near to be a, a, the kind of he, a, a failure. Yeah, but here's the problem. That's not the standard. He took all of his winnings on infrastructure and he pushed them in on Build Back Better and he lost the whole thing. And he's still walking out of the casino with no money in his pocket. Well, I don't call no money the, the infrastructure plan. But look, you guys are the insiders down there. I don't I don't know retail politics I, or that kind of stuff. You guys. Look, hey, the Supreme Court is going to bail him out in a big way, though. He well, had. I was just going to say he has a Supreme Court nomination. Yeah, let's talk about that. That's not no money. Yeah. That is, in fact, the most valuable currency that a president has. And I agree as a political matter. We're going to talk in, in a minute 
about what Towner thinks about the commitment to nominate an African-American woman. But as a political matter, this nomination could not have come at a better time for this president. So how does it play itself out? I mean, he's committed. He's going to he's going to name a person by the end of February, by the end of February. And well, you're you're allowed to say it. He's going to name an African-American woman. He made that commitment during the campaign and he has reiterated and reaffirmed that commitment in recent days. That's great. So he's going to name an individual He's going to nominate somebody. And what's how does Mitch McConnell look at that, Towner? You know, I think I think. Well, first of all, we need well, to. How does, can we ask how Towner looks at it before I mean, we get to Mitch McConnell? Th- this is my favorite part of a Supreme <laughs> uh, Supreme Court nomination: is that everybody has to make a decision as to whether or not they're going to vote for the individual before they even know who it is. And that drives me insane yeah. uh, every time. I mean, at least at least wait to pontificate about your support or opposition until until you actually know who the the nominee is. But um, but that being said, you know, I think I think McConnell's going to have to do some some soul searching a little bit within his conference because you know, quite frankly, like Susan Collins has never voted against a Supreme Court nominee uh, in her career, and I, I'd like to see from both sides, and I'd like to see. You know, if uh, in the reaction uh, to the eventual nominee, when that when that African-American female is is named uh, as the nominee, uh, how are moderate Republicans going to react to it? Because there's a lot of them who are going to say, yeah, I'm generally thinking I'm going to vote in favor. I think at least what, two or three potential candidates. I think there's like five now that have leaked out that are that are sort of, you know, in play. And two or three of those have been. Uh, confirmed for their lower court positions by the Senate in in wide margins in in many cases where moderate Republicans have voted for them. So McConnell's only going to play a hand. I mean, he's very tactical, as we've seen. Uh, I think a lot of people don't like him because he's so tactical. But if he doesn't have 50 votes to be able to put pressure on you know, I don't know. Who knows? If Manchin came out tomorrow, I, he's made positive comments. But if Manchin came out tomorrow and said, "I don't know how I feel about uh, a Biden nomination," I think the collective uh, head of the Democratic Party would absolutely just explode, and and the whole Capitol would come crumbling down. But uh, but you know, I think this is going to play out uh, whereby they're going to try to spike the football as much as humanly po- possible on the Democratic side. And at some point, I think McConnell's going to get out of the way because the last thing you need to do is get posterized here right before you know, we head into the midterm elections. He's He's been tactful, tactically keeping Republicans out of losing situations yeah. and letting Democrats, you know, continue to, to step on their message. I think they both, both sides try to run on this issue. You know, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Biden gets his nominee through and McConnell goes to the Republicans and says, goes to their base and says, this is why you need to come out in November. Yep. And I mean, at two Atlanta seats, if Trump hadn't lost his two Atlanta seats with with the the 50 vote requirement. I mean, we'd still getting happen. We well. It's well, not like a justice has never gotten through when the Senate's controlled by the other party than the president. It's just that it changes the politics around the nomination. Absolutely. I mean, you can't we can't actually stop confirming people. 
Well, I guess well, I guess well, that you, you might ask Merrick Garland's opinion of that. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, but that's a different that that's a that's a different. It's scenario. always different with both sides. I didn't like it, but it's a different scenario. Well, the, what, what was the scenario? The scenario was they had the power to do it, and if it was a fifty-one forty-nine Senate, they'd do it again. I don't think they do and it with, in and the second year of a presidency. The good thing is, Some, several end, members of the well, Senate. Why is Amy Coney Barrett? Why is Justice Barrett on the Supreme Court if what McConnell did with the Garland nomination was a legitimate exercise of power? How how was it? He had a change of heart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right, it was a raw exercise of power, and he flipped 180 degrees on the principle involved when it was his turn. Right. Chuck Schumer loves the filibuster and hated it the last three weeks. I mean, what do you you know? It's just it is what it is. It it turns based on who's in power, and quite frankly, this is going to get easier and easier for the Democrats because Bernie Sanders and Chuck Schumer are going to be able to vote with a 48 seat majority to 52, and that that's a winning uh, move going forward. I think at some point they'll change the rules. I didn't follow that, but that's I, okay. I didn't get that one. Either. <laughs> no, I mean <laughs> we're we're not good. Bernie Democrats Bernie runs aren't good with Democrats math to be able to do anything they want to pass Build Back Better or something along those lines. To heck with Mansion and and Cinema. So. So, Tony, you threw us all for a loop with that Absolutely. one. We're trying to figure it out and do the math. And, there, I, guess. Um, I, I, I get it now. I think Tony's saying that Bernie, Bernie's view is that whatever 48 decides, Sanchez and Mansion and Cinema have to go along with. Yes. Uh, so 48, 48 get to decide. Got it. Got so it. So 48 is it. the new majority. Listen, it's big, obviously, but. He's going to get his nominee through. He should. Doesn't change the balance of power on the court. Thank goodness, from my point of view, once again, revealing my true cards, Mark. Thank goodness Breyer had the good sense not to do what RGB did, um, RBG did, yeah, and hold on till the bitter end. I mean, It was some- unwise of her to die. I agree. It's unwise of her. I thought that. No, you know I agree. I'm sorry. I was being. I agree. Let me just agree. It's you know. Yes, it was unwise and 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 frankly not smart. Right. And she's a hero and all that, but not not smart. Not smart. Not good. And people shouldn't hang on until they're ready to die. I just that's not smart. And that's he had the good sense to step away. <laughs> What's that? That's not what a lifetime appointment is. I mean, come on. <laughs> who, who who here agrees that they ought to change it so that you your term for a uh, Supreme Court is like 15 years or 18 years or something like that? I do. No way. It's ridiculous the way these guys hang on. No way. No way. Because then you have, it's like, you know, you have a date and it makes those next elections you know, you know that president's going to be able to choose X amount of Supreme Court justices. And with nine, how do you divide it up evenly over over a four-year splits? I mean, it'd be- Well, that's you, a good point. I don't disagree. See, every once in a while, a Republican makes a good point. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That is not the first thing I would change, Brian. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, you know, how would you like to be Justice Breyer, who is just you know, had a distinguished career on the court. And then, you know, as a Supreme Court justice, everybody just hates you and begs you to retire 
for your last year or so that you spend on the court? Yeah. It's smart. There's a political reality. It's smart. Popes do it now too. Exactly. There you go. It's like the Pope. They are like Popes. There you go. Um, And look, I, I think obviously there's this COVID the the numbers are much better. Um, the numbers where we live, Towner, and and actually for that matter, all of us. Yep. Um, the numbers in the mid Atlantic to Northeast are really on the mend. I think Maryland and DC are like the best numbers in the country right now because they were the worst numbers in the yeah. country for for a while. Um, welcome everybody else. We've passed yeah, the baton. Yeah, exactly. You know the courts out there. I. Look, the economy, I mean, I can't tell you how many client calls I was on just today with clients talking about supply chain and the absence of of available labor. Like supply chain is now cocktail party conversation with people that know nothing about supply chain. It's it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. It's confusing as heck. It it is COVID driven. I'm gonna repeat. I don't know about that. Promise. Uh, pardon? I don't know about that. I don't think that's right. Oh, I I think it is more COVID driven than not. With cities in China closing down. No. For but but my where I was going was to. Praise one more time, Jim Carville, because it's the economy. Story. Right. Right. But actually, see, I think Democrats are missing an opportunity here because it's, yes, it is certainly to some degree COVID related. But this isn't just about COVID. I think this is about immigration. And I think we have a labor shortage in this country, partially because we have lower immigration because of COVID. But I... I couldn't agree more. I had a a text exchange with a little edge to it with a client this week who was complaining because Biden, the Biden administration, is closing the borders to unvaccinated uh, entrants. And he was complaining that we are 118,000 truck drivers short every day. How can this be a good idea? And and I did, maybe not as politely as I should have, remind him of his opposition to all immigration <laughs> until he needed truck drivers in his business. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's legit. And I know immigration is a very divisive issue. In some ways, I feel like, uh, like everybody's kind of head in the sand on this. Like no one's talking about that element of things and and they should be. This has implications for the future. We rely, first of all, it's the foundation upon which this country is built. Second of all, from a population point of view, second of all, um, we need an adequate supply of workers and we don't have one. And I think we were probably going to experience that regardless of whether COVID came along to some degree. Maybe, but isn't isn't that uh, an effect, Howard? Of of um, again, I, I don't think Republicans are responsible for every bad thing in America today. But 
but they've done a good job with with immigration because I think everyone everyone who actually understands the economy and the way it works agrees with what you just said. Our, our our nation is built on immigration. We need workers. We need a supply. Everybody knows that. The Chamber of Commerce knows that. But immigration has become the cultural issue, not the economic issue. The cultural issue that drives the Republican engine, um, and they can't give it up. They can't give it up. Well. Both sides, Brian, because it's very much driven the Bernie Sanders engine for a long time as well. well absolutely. I'm, absolutely. I'm sure that's right. You may recall Absol- when Democrats scuttled comprehensive immigration reform so as to maintain it for a campaign issue in 2006. I'm not sure. Well, I, I'm, I'm ill-equipped to debate an insider on Capitol Hill on that. I don't know that. but Absolutely. It's, it's definitely, this is both sides. Mr. Both Sides is and both sides. All right. Well, now you're playing unfair because I don't know enough about the uh, the goings on in Capitol Hill. I mean, I think, you know, it's interesting because this has had the effect of moving wages up, which is is a big priority, you know, on the Democratic side of the aisle. Like who talks about $15 an hour minimum wage anymore? It's like it's this is taking care of that. But but. We're going to need to correct. And Biden, it could be the economy, stupid at the end of the day, that hurts him more than anything in, in the fall and beyond. Yeah, the economy I think could it, be roaring in the fall, too. It, we could I, be. Yeah, with a little luck, and some of the forecasts uh, I've seen are predicting this, by November, the economy will be uh, up and running again. Inflation will be down, not gone. But but if kids are still being kept home when they test positive, even though they're asymptomatic and they have to spend 10 days in the basement, he, he, we aren't getting a good result out of this midterm. Listen, the economy is up and running. We had 6.9% GDP growth in the fourth quarter. Like the economy is not weak. It's just that there aren't enough people to make sure there's meat at the giant supermarket. Yeah, that's because we have to break up the meat packing monopoly. All right. That's a different call. All right. All right. We'll do, we'll do our we'll do our next beltway briefing on the meat monopoly, Mark. How about that? Brian, can you join us for that too? And I, I'm an expert on meat production. Talk about meat. All right. Well, very important issue to your business, Howard. Brian, thank you for uh Brian, joining us do? today. How'd we do? Do you want to share some yeah, yeah, yeah. No, how'd we do today? Today today was a today was a good day. It's but you know, I'm I'm I made the broadcast. Are you going to listen to yourself while you're been, on your walk over the I've, weekend? I've been telling Howard, Howard and Mark have been trying to get me to come on this. And I've said, you don't want me on this thing. This is going to be really stupid if you let me talk on this thing. And Mark finally uh, persuaded me after Howard called me out for being a coward for not coming on. I <laughs> <laughs> called you out for fomenting a civil war. <laughs> yeah, I think it was something about that. Something about civil wars and Abraham Lincoln. And the second That put you over the top. But this was great. Thank you for uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for bringing some. I don't know about realism, but reality. Uh, the reality. There based you go. Community. There you go. There you go. Anytime you want to report from the reality based community, give me a call. <laughs> we very we good have a correspondent that we go out to in the middle of our podcast. Brian, right. give us the dose of reality. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, guys, uh, enjoy the snow, and uh, we will be back next week.
Thanks for joining us, Brian. Thanks, Mark. Thanks. So long. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Howard. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.